If you have your Bibles, we'll go ahead and stand. I want to read a passage of Scripture here that will connect us to our time in the Word this morning. Be one of several that we'll be looking at as we speak to salvation, wonderful salvation this morning. And so uh, we're looking forward to uh, hearing and seeing in the Word what God has to say about salvation. I want to read from the book of Acts. If you turn to the book of Acts and I want to look at chapter 2. And I just want to pick it up at the end of Peter's sermon on that day of Pentecost in Acts 2. We'll pick it up in verse 37. This is really, in many ways, the, the back end, the response of the people, right? So, Verse 37, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God, having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for who you are. We thank you that you are good, that you do good. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and we can pray to you at all times Because of what you have done, because of what your son did, that finished and accomplished work at the cross. Lord, this morning we just want to say thank you for that plan of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for demonstrating your love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I pray that we just allow that to soak in this morning. 
your wonderful gift of salvation. I pray there's not a day that goes by where we don't remember what you've done for us. That not a day would go by we would not stop and pause in our day to think about and praise you for this great gift of salvation. Lord, there are some things this morning from your word that I pray in our time together that you would reveal, you would show to us, you would, through your Holy Spirit, speak through me, speak to your servants here in this place. I pray, Lord, that as we leave here today, we would have a a better understanding, we would have a, 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 a better grasp of the salvation that you've provided for us. That, Lord, we would not just have it in our minds, but, Lord, we would have it in such a way that we would put it on display in our lives. For, Lord, this world that we live in, as we just read in Acts 2, is still very much a perverse generation. There's still very much a need to be saved from this generation, but, Lord, the greatest thing that you've saved us from is our sin. Because it's, the, it's that sin that separated us. And so Lord we just say thank you for taking care of that. Through your son Jesus. Work this morning Lord I pray. Have your way in us. Teach us Lord through your Holy Spirit. What you would have us to hear and know this day. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe may be seated. I didn't have my easel this morning. I thought, yeah, thank you, Mark. Excellent, I love this. So we'll, we'll do the best we can, but I did want to have a visual. I think having the visual will, will be helpful in this regard. So Mark, however we can set that up there, I'll be writing... Not much, but I'll be writing just a little bit on that this morning to bring some clarity to, to what's up there. Thank you, Mark. Acts chapter 2, we just read. There's a question that I'd like to begin our time with, and it's, it's, it's a question that's in the Word. I didn't make this up. It's right here. And it's where I'd like to begin this morning. At the end of the message from Peter in Acts chapter 2. It says when they heard this they were cut to the heart. And different translations maybe render that in some different ways. They were essentially pricked and pierced within on what they had just heard from the word. Peter is standing to preach and he's explaining to them. What this pouring out of the Holy Spirit is. Some remember early on thought these men were drunk. And Peter says, no, 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 no. And he points them immediately to Joel and the prophecy in Joel about what was going to happen in these last days. And he's saying, this is that event. This is what Joel spoke of. And then he goes on and he talks about how what happened to Jesus not too many days ago was foreordained. It, was, it happened with great purpose in verse 23. In 24, God raised him up, 
spoke of the resurrection. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore being exalted to the right hand and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out that which you now see and hear. He's explaining to them the arrival of this Holy Spirit. Something new, another counselor has come. Jesus, remember, talked to his disciples about this very thing in John 14, 15, and 16. It's now come. And so at the end of his message, he says, Let all of Israel know, verse 36, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And it's right there where we get this response in verse 37. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And I'd like to put that question to you right up front and have you think about what it is you should be doing. What are you going to do? That's the question I'd like you to think about and consider as we work through some texts this morning. They come to that question after hearing God's word. And, and you might recall, we're, we're now midway through this series on what we believe as a church. Right? We talked about, we've been asking the same question each week. What, what does God have to say about, dot, 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 right? Week one was God. What's he have to say about himself? Week two was, what does God have to say about Jesus, right? Week three, what does God have to say about the Holy Spirit? See, an understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, sets everything in place, doesn't it? Last week, we then talked about what God has to say about his word, the authority of the scriptures. And today, we follow that up by asking the question, what does God have to say about salvation? Now, it's significant and important to note that when we talk about salvation and what God has to say about salvation... We can't disconnect what he has to say about salvation apart from what he has to say about God, what he has to say about Jesus, what he has to say about the Holy Spirit, and what he has to say about the authority of the scriptures. Because it's here where we find out what he has to say, right? Specifically what he has to say about salvation. Now, as you're thinking about salvation, there are, there are really three basic components to salvation that I'd like to just kind of give you up front. And then I want to give you four uh, points we're going, to, we're going to spend spend some time on talking through this morning about salvation, some parts and components of salvation. But when you look at salvation and you think about uh, the word salvation, uh, I want you to understand there's a past tense element of salvation. The Bible word that we oftentimes associate with that with is justification, right? Justification. Uh, it has, it's a legal term. Uh, it, it's, it's God treating us as if we were the ones who were off the hook. And he can do that, A, because he's God, and B, because he's provided the plan of salvation to see that we are justified, we are made righteous. He's provided that plan. And so in the past element, in the past sense of salvation, we see that recorded in the scripture, and we see it very clearly put forward of what God did through Jesus, this whole once for all. We, we covered uh, last year, a bulk of last year was covering the book of Hebrews. And if we got nothing else out of Hebrews, I'm hoping we understood and got this very 
point in Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10. Talked about once for all, once for all, one sacrifice for all time. That's what Christ did through the cross, through his shed blood at the cross. So that past event, okay, I want you to understand there's a a past element involved in what we're talking about with salvation. But there's also very much a present tense idea of salvation, is there not? And the Bible word for that that we see in the scripture, sanctification. Sanctification. There's this progressive sanctification that we see and read about in the scriptures. The Bible makes it very clear that we are saved because of what Christ did at the cross. We can look back at the cross and see the significance and the turning point in all of history at the cross. But we also see as a result of that cross what our lives are to be today in the present. Is there not to be a difference in our lives in the present because of what Christ did at the cross? So very much a present element involved in salvation. But then there's also a future element involved in salvation. The Bible uses another word uh, for this future idea of salvation, and that's glorification, right? So we have justification, we have sanctification, this ongoing, maturing, uh, moving forward in Christ. And then there's the glorification. One day we get to see Jesus as he is. And I look forward to that. We get to see him as he is. And in the meantime, the Bible calls us to be pure just as he is pure. We are to be sanctified. We're a part of that sanctifying process, by the way, of what goes on in the present tense. The Lord is working out his salvation in us as we are working as well. Right? We do this with the Lord. He's working in and through us as we work out our salvation. Okay, so I wanted you to get and understand up front, salvation has three uh, parts that we see in Scripture, components, uh, very much a past element, a present element, and a future element involved under the umbrella of salvation in, in justification, sanctification, glorification. Okay, the, the culmination, the end result, uh, the, the finality of what we look forward to in this salvation. I was... A part of a game last night, and those of you, most of you know, uh, those of you that don't, outside of, of, of preaching on a week-to-week and being a part of the church here, I, I, I'm a basketball official, and so part of uh, what I get to do is, is interact and, and blow a whistle and, and be, hopefully, Lord willing, helpful to some people uh, throughout the course of the game. Well, last night, uh, it was interesting, uh, last night I, I was at a, at a gym that was a very large gym, and before the game, we were, we were standing in our spots waiting for the beginning of the game, and the, the national anthem, we're standing, and the national anthem's going on. Well, the flag is, this, this gym had a, a giant scoreboard right up, hanging up in the middle of the arena. This, this gymnasium sat probably somewhere 5,000 or more people. And so here we are, all of us, we're standing, and we're looking at the flag, is above the scoreboard, okay, so you can kind of picture what that might look like, and so we're all standing there, and as we're looking up to the flag, I couldn't help but notice the bottom of the scoreboard, it was interesting, and, and really it's, in, in many ways, kind of got me thinking about uh, this subject matter of, of salvation, perhaps from a different light, And as I was standing there, I was looking at the bottom of the scoreboard, and on the bottom of the scoreboard uh, were were pieces of wood 
that really outlined the bottom of the scoreboard. Uh, and it was a square, kind of a square rectangle. But the thing that stood out to me in the moment as I'm standing there was not so much the square rectangle or the bottom part of the, the scoreboard. There, were, there was a vertical piece and there was a horizontal piece on the bottom side of the scoreboard. And, and about everybody in the gym, as they're looking up, would have been able to see this. And the first thought that came to my mind, the Lord brought to my attention, and we're thinking about and talking about salvation this week. I was reminded as I was looking up at the flag, I couldn't help but catch the cross. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Here, here we are, I don't know, four or 5,000 people in the gymnasium tonight. And we're looking up, and I see the cross. And I was thinking to myself in that moment, Lord, what a great place for your cross to be presiding over. The cross is like we were under the cross last night. The game took place under the cross. Now, hardly anybody else in the gym, I would imagine, probably picked up on that. They were probably thinking about other things. But here I am at the National Anthem. I'm looking up, and, and that's the picture I'm seeing. And I'm thanking the Lord for His salvation. And I'm praying in that moment while the, while the anthem's going on that, Lord, this cross would be a cross that other people would also be able to come to know and realize the power and the significance of this cross. There were timeouts throughout the game, and I remember thinking at the timeout, I had to look up the scoreboard. They didn't have scoreboards on the side. And so I had to constantly look up on the, the board to see the score and, and timeouts left and foul count. And every time I looked up, I saw that cross. And it was, it, that just washed over me the entire game. The cross, the cross. As I think about that picture, one of the things that I'd like to paint this morning, I'd like to just give, from the concept, perspective of salvation, I want to give four cross points this morning. So taking the underside of that board, if we kind of just move it down this way so now you can see it, I'm hoping that this will be simple and easy to grasp because, listen, I don't believe for a moment that God's given to us his word that we have to jump through loophole after loophole after loophole in order for us to get and understand what he's required for us of salvation. Okay? So I'm going to give you four words. Hopefully these four words will be helpful. Cross points. It's one give you some cross points to think about as we, as we look to salvation, okay? Here's the first one. Rescue. Rescue. You probably have seen reports, seen the news, heard stories of policemen, firemen, might be reminded, those of you that are old enough, to be reminded of 911 and, and the, the rescue efforts that were made 
to take care of people during that day. I'd like to point you to, as we think about this word relevant to salvation, I'd like to point you back to the Old Testament. Because it's really, this motif of rescue runs throughout the whole of the, New, the Old Testament. Even in the prophets, the pro, all the prophets, the major minor prophets, they always seem to be coming back to this idea of what God did in rescuing his people. Amen? God rescued his people. Exodus chapter 20 gives us a picture of this. And this is, the scene is at Mount Sinai and God is speaking all these words. Before he gives the Ten Commandments, notice what he says in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. How many times in the scripture do you hear something like that. Something that makes reference to the exodus, right? The, the, the great rescue from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And there seems to be this, this motif all throughout. A reminder to God's people of what God has done to rescue them. Don't forget what I've done for you. I am your God, and you are my people, says the Lord. Rescue. As you think about salvation, being saved, I think an important component of salvation is understanding your need for rescue. You know, there are a lot of folks today who don't see and recognize their need to be rescued. Right? We think about salvation, and we think about the components of salvation. And you ask the question, what is it that God's done to secure my rescue? I want you to think about this morning and maybe ask yourself, have I seen my salvation in light of a great rescue that God has orchestrated? And, and let's, let's be real clear. The rescue, the rescue wasn't a, on God's behalf, it was not a, oh, I wonder what we're going to do. We need to understand God already knew. God's the one who had the plan. Go all the way back into Genesis and we see when sin came into the world through that one man, Adam, right? Romans 5.12 tells us that. God already had planned what he was going to do. He had planned to send his son. I want you to know and understand that when we talk about rescue, I want you to piece together and understand that rescue has in mind a person, and his name is Jesus. And the picture is the cross. That was going to be God's way to rescue his people. 
And we see it in the Old Testament. He is showing them by rescuing them from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It's a type, a foreshadowing of what is going to come in the sending of his son. Rescue. As you sit here this morning and you think about salvation... Have you thought about salvation initially in terms of God's great rescue in your life? Because the Bible says that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, correct? We were dead. We were without hope. We were without God, without the promises. We were lost. We were walking in darkness. That's who we once were. You can praise him this morning that he rescued you out of darkness. And he has brought you into the kingdom of light. If you've been trapped before and you've been then rescued and brought to safety. There's this overwhelming sense of. Most all of us have experienced at some level a rescue. Whether it's a small child being trapped or stuck. And you've been rescued by dad or mom from a situation. We could probably come up with elements and levels of rescue. But there's no greater rescue than what God did for every single one of us through his son Jesus. So when we think about salvation, I want you to think about initially rescue. The second word I'd like you to think through this morning. Is redemption. These words are all interconnected. Tie into one another. Redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, in him, that's Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Let's get this. Redemption. When we talk about redemption, we talk about, we take the core word, redeem, to buy back. Right? The, the image and the picture we see in the scripture is a, a slave that is bought on the block. I think about Hosea and God's call to Hosea to go buy his wife off the slave block. That purchasing, the buying back. God redeemed us, He bought us. This ties into the rescue, doesn't it? He he rescued us. He also redeemed us. We sang this morning, redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by what, church? The blood of the Lamb. That's what we're redeemed by. Let's be real clear on what we're not redeemed by. Because I think this has gotten fuzzy for some, perhaps. 
We've not been redeemed by our good works. Can we be clear on that? There is not enough good works that you can do, any one of you, myself included, that's going to say to God, okay, he's done enough good works, redeemed. No, that's not what the Bible says. In fact, we look and then we keep reading. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. Well, there's some important words there. The forgiveness of sins. Listen, if we don't understand the rescue, we're not going to get the redemption. Because the rescue had everything to do with God sending his son to pay for something none of us could pay for. There was a great separation, a great chasm. There was a great problem we had. It has to do with our sin. Our sin is what separates us from God. God provided the rescue, but he also provided the redemption. He redeemed us by the blood. He provides forgiveness or remission of sin. Forgiveness of sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is what? He's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is the one who gives us and grants us forgiveness through the redemption that comes by his blood. Let me ask you this morning, that song that says redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. I'm convinced that as a, as a rescued, redeemed child of God, we don't do a very good job of letting others know we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven of the greatest thing we could be forgiven of. Our sin. Because it's our sin that separated us from God. He has redeemed us. I want you to see that salvation from beginning to end is a work of God. From beginning to end, it's a work of God. And if you notice what I've been talking about to this point, God provided that, God provided that. Did he not? None of us provides this. None of us provides this. Now I'm going to give you two other words. And these, these other two words are going to tie into us. Okay? Salvation is of God from beginning to end, but it's also something that includes and involves us. It involves us. Okay? So here, here's, the, here's the, third, the third one I want to give to us. This is oh so important as we think about salvation. 
Response. Response. We are responders to God's initiative of salvation. We're responders. God speaks, we respond. God speaks, we respond. Acts chapter 2, great example, isn't it? Peter speaking, sharing the gospel, sharing the story, sharing the history. After speaking the word of truth, the men who are gathered are are, are cut to the heart. And they say, what shall we do? This is the response. When we think about salvation and what God has done in rescuing us and redeeming us by the blood of the Lamb, there's a response needed to the rescue and redemption that God has provided. In fact, to not respond, get this, to not respond is to respond. Does that make sense? If we don't respond... And what I mean by respond, let me give you three words that the Bible uses. These aren't my words. These are the Bible's words. I think it's important as we look at our response that we're looking at what God and his word has said about how we respond. And, and we see it, one, of the, one of the responses right here in Acts 2.38. Repent. Repent. Repent of what? Sin. What shall we do? That's the question first thing that comes out is repent. That's the initial response on our end is repent. Repent of our sin. We see uh, there's all kinds of places we could turn to here, but for starters, we could turn to Romans chapter 10. I love this context because Paul begins in Romans 10 by just saying right up front, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Do we have that kind of of heart toward those around us? A prayerful heart that they may be saved? Paul goes on and he says in verses 9, pick it up in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, by the way, confess is to agree, to agree with God, In other words, to agree with God that what he says here in his word is what I believe to be true. Okay? We are agreeing with God that what he's said in his word, that's what we stand on to. So it says in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart... That God has raised him from the dead, so the resurrection becomes very important in the gospel. Amen? Corinthians 15, the three core components of the gospel. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Right? Core, basic part of the gospel. If you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can it get any clearer than that? Paul goes on. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's what we're talking about this morning. For the scripture says, 
Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes. Is that not the greatest invitation available today? Whoever believes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that what? Whoever. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. The same Lord is available to all. They're not different gods. We've said up front, we said at the beginning, that God is one of three persons. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. One way, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I like that verse. It's a good verse. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. Uh, By the way, we don't have to look very far to to hold that one to be true. Not all have believed the gospel, amen? There's all kinds that have not believed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, last verse, verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What is our response? Some words I'd leave you with as you think about your response. I'll go back to the Old Testament. I want to bring the old and the new together. And I want us to understand that the Bible is made up of 66 books. The Bible is not simply 29 New Testament books. 27, excuse me. Okay, it's not 27. It's 66 books. 39 the old, 27 in the new. And all of the Old Testament over here is pointing in such a way. It's like a flashing neon sign. Blink, blink, blink. Pointing to Jesus who is to come. Putting on display the salvation that's yet to come in Christ. Our response is needed in this. So here, here are a couple words. Trust. Trust. Proverbs 3. I'm, I'm wanting to give you some familiarity here because I know some of you have some familiar handholds on some of these scriptures. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in whom? In the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Understand, you need to be rescued. Every single one of us do. We need to be redeemed. Our response, our response had better not be, ought not be. I got this one, God. I'm good on this one. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And what's the promise? He shall direct your steps. 
Well, how's he going to do that? When we get to the New Testament, we see that he directs our steps through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. And we also see in the New Testament the ramifications for not responding in appropriate fashion as he's called us to respond. These are cross points. And again, I'm reminded of that scoreboard and, and the cross and, and being under the cross. Do we live in such a way that our lives are lived under the cross? In the shadow, if you will, of the cross. Paul says in Corinthians that, that the life, I live in such a way that the death of Jesus Christ is carried around with me wherever I go. So that that life of Jesus then is manifested because it's only in his death and understanding his death that we respond appropriately. Our response. Trust. John 1. I'll give you two words that we see there with our response. Believe. Remember, his own did not receive him, but to as many did receive him. He gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children of God. To those who believe in his name. Believe, receive, trust. Those are three Bible words that are put forward. Listen, those are kinds of words that are response type words. We are responders. We must respond to what God has spoken. His plan of salvation has been set up in such a way that we hear what he has to say through his word. He's given us very clear instruction on what this is about. Why we're here. He's rescued us. He's redeemed us. He's now called for a response. And listen. Some of you who are young here, I want to encourage you to be thinking about this right now. Don't put this off. You know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is there a desire to be saved? Remember what what Peter says there in Acts 2. Be saved from this perverse generation but also want to remind you that we're not just being saved from the, the perverse generation the wicked generation around us we also have a great need to be saved from the sin that separates us from a holy God imperative that we respond with believing and receiving Christ as Lord here's the last one I want to give you this morning Again, these are all connected, tied together. Not only are we called to response, but we now have responsibility, don't we? Salvation if we have been saved, if we've been rescued, if we've been redeemed, if we've responded, 
We are saved, the Bible says, Ephesians 2, wonderful passage of Scripture. Read the first 13 verses of Ephesians 2, wonderful passage of Scripture. It begins by talking about who we once were, verses 1, 2, and 3. And then you get to that wonderful but, verse 4, God, who is rich in mercy, and he has a great love for us, and he saved us by what, church? By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of your own. I'm so glad he did it this way. Because I know I would have and probably all of us in here would have done the same thing. We would have been boasting about it. He saved us by grace through faith. That not of our own lest any of us should boast. So if we know that this has happened and come about. The salvation has happened by grace. We ought not then take it upon ourselves to think we've done something grand and great. Because the one thing that separated us from God was our sin. And the one person who could do something about this problem we had was God himself. A holy God. A just God. A loving God, Ephesians 2 brings forward. We think about responding and we think about our responsibility now being saved. What is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ? A few weeks back we were talking about from Luke 5, one of my favorite passages of scripture when Jesus is calling the fishermen. You remember they catch boatloads of fish. Remember the boats are about to sink and they bring them on the shore. I love how it ends. They forsook all and followed him. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become what? Fishers of men. What's my responsibility? How about 2 Corinthians 5? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells me that The old has gone, the new has come. I am a new creation in Christ. My responsibility, being under the cross of Christ, is to now walk by faith, not by sight, trusting, Romans 4, I'll read it because it's too good just to paraphrase, Romans 4, Talking about Abraham, the, one of my favorite passages of scripture about faith. It says he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Here it is, listen to this, Romans 4.21. Being fully convinced that what God promised, he was also able to perform. Faith is being fully convinced that what God has promised, God is able to Do we live our lives in such a way? That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to walk by faith. Our responsibility is to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Our responsibility, 2 Corinthians 5 says, is to be an ambassador, right? That's the word, an ambassador for Christ. You know what an ambassador does from the United States? We have ambassadors that are stationed in other parts of the world, right? There are U.S. ambassadors. Well, what do they do over there? 
Well, hopefully they have some idea and knowledge of who we are as the United States. Hopefully. And they're able to talk to others about who we are. They're able to share with others about what the United States does, about policy of the United States, about what we're not going to allow, what we're not going to do, and yes, what we are going to do, who we are. Friends, let me tell you something. The Bible says that you and me, our responsibility now, having trusted, believed, received in what Christ has done and his rescue and his redeeming work by the blood of the Lamb, we are now responsible to walk in a different way. And I would ask this question. How can we not walk in a different way in light of what he's done? If we're not walking any differently... Here's what we're doing. We are profaning the name of Jesus. We're, we're, we've forgotten, as Psalm 119 says. He call, Psalm, I love it. Psalm 119. He calls us not to forget God's word. As some of us, I believe, who've professed the name of Jesus, we've forgotten God and how we live our lives. We don't adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ with our lives. Our lives, we are responsible before God. We are to be stewards of God. You know what a steward does? A steward manages and takes care of the very thing that God has given to him for a time. And God has given to each one of us a body, a receptacle. And he's called us to steward these bodies, which if we are in Christ, we have the spirit of God residing within us. And we are responsible now to live as Christ would have us live. Part of that responsibility in living this way and living in light of our salvation is to walk in the light. We walk, no doubt, by the spirit. And we walk by faith, but we're to walk also in the light. First John, that's the whole message of First John, isn't it? Walk in the light as he is in the light. Anyone who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as Christ walked. How did Christ walk, church? He walked in the light. If you're walking, listen, if you're walking, some of this may be true for some of you right here, right now, this morning. If you're walking in darkness and you're professing the name of Jesus, We'll go back to what we talked about earlier. Our response. What's the first thing on the response list? Acts 2.38. Repent. 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 Repent of your sin. Understand that you have a holy God. That when you confess your sins and you agree with God about your sin before a holy God and you confess that sin, God is faithful and he's just and he's going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. For some of you this morning, maybe that's where you're at. You, you've lost track of the responsibility. As you think about these cross points this morning under the umbrella of salvation. You know the story. But I would ask you this morning as we look at responsibility. Are you living in light of who you are as a child of God? Turn to Romans 3, 
Now the righteousness of God, this is verse 21, apart from the laws revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, the law and the prophets, we're all talking about this. This is not a new concept. This is not a new idea. Even the righteousness of God through faith, there it is, in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Not just some nebulous faith in God. I have faith in God. Listen, faith in God goes hand in hand with faith in Christ Jesus. 1 John tells us in so many ways that if one believes in God and does not believe in Jesus... 1 John would say that's the spirit of the Antichrist at work. (laughs) A belief in God must also be connected to a belief in Jesus, church. Okay? We must not be ashamed to bring up and talk about the name of Jesus. Faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who what? Believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned. Hey, this is a level playing field, isn't it? All have sinned. All are in need of what? Rescue. All have sinned. Fall short of the glory of God. Being justified. There's an aspect of that salvation we talked about, right? Being justified freely by his what? Grace, Ephesians 2. Through the redemption that is in whom? Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. I was listening to a message here just a a short while ago. It's important that as we talk about salvation, as we talk about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, that we don't miss this phrase he used. I loved it. Four four words. Jesus in my place. Or in two words, substitutionary atonement. Jesus in my place. God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Here it is again. Through faith to demonstrate what? His righteousness... Why is that so important? That's what we need, friends. <laughs> we need his righteousness. We need to be covered in his righteousness. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us how we get that righteousness. It happens through this wonderful transaction of the cross. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins. Do you remember that phrase? I love the, the passed over. It has this rescue motif even in the phrase. He passed over. You remember that? Does that bring to your attention anything that happened back in Exodus? He passed over the sins. He told him to put what? The blood over the doorposts. And, and, and when you do that, he's going to pass over. He's going to pass by. He's going to cover you. Passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That he might be just, and he is a just God. And he's the justifier. He's the one who declares us to be righteous. God is the one in the Bible who says he knows the hearts of all people. 
He knows. And as you sit here this morning, you might have a lot of people fooled. There might be a lot of people that think you're such a great person. You you might be one of those people that, uh, what are they called, double-minded people in the Bible? That around a certain crowd, you are, you you look so good. But maybe in a different crowd, or maybe by yourself, you're a different person. I would point you here and ask, what is your responsibility as a child of God? We, We don't live a life of duplicity here. God cannot be mocked. Rescue, redemption, response, responding, responsibility. Responsibility is to walk by faith, to walk in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, to walk and live as new creations in Christ, to understand that I am now, as a child of God, I'm saved from my sin, but I'm also saved for something here in the time he's put me here. Am I not? I'm saved from something, but what am I saved for? See, if we look at the Bible and we see that we're saved by grace through faith, that not of our own, I would also encourage you to look at Ephesians 2 verse 10 because Ephesians 2 verse 10 gives us the proper place for our good works. See, there are a lot of people who who want to raise up good works to the top of the list. And if I just do enough, I'll get saved. I want to be very clear on this. I am not saying and advocating we throw good works out the window. No, 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 no. The Bible has a proper place for good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. If we think about it this way, we are saved by grace through faith for good works, in order to do good works. That's my responsibility now as a child of God. I'm I'm rescued. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm responding in faith. I'm trusting. I'm believing. I'm receiving Him to be Lord of my life. He calls the shots now. I'm under the cross. I'm walking by faith. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm walking as a new creation in Christ. I'm walking now with eyes open to those around me who also need to know and hear this good news message. I'm walking around now as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, proudly proclaiming and unashamedly speaking the name of Jesus. That's who I am now. I'm not who I used to be. Friends, is your life any different because of Christ in you? Is there any fruit in your life because of Christ in you? And listen, I, I say all that not to bonk anyone here. I say that. If, 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 you're, if you're thinking about the question, I want to take you back here where we began this morning. And I want to end here and I want to put the question before you again. 
Because Peter speaks in Acts 2 of what is going on in the moment. The Holy Spirit's been poured out and he stands and he delivers a message. It's not the entirety of his message. I'm convinced based on what Acts 2 verse 40 says. With many other words, he testified. He spoke. And he said, be saved from this perverse generation. But the question of those gathered that day, after they heard the word preached, was, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are you going to do? As a result of hearing his word. Hearing his word requires a response. Some of you perhaps are in here today. And up to this point, you've not responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've not responded to the word of truth. And in your heart of hearts, maybe your response has been put it off, put it off, Put it off. Some of you younger people, maybe put it off until I get to be 18. Put it off until I get to be 21. Put it off until I get married. Listen, today is the day of salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to tell you, there's not a greater thing that can happen in your life. There's a lot of important decisions in your life, aren't there? As you get older, you think about what school you're going to go to, perhaps. You're thinking about your, your, your spouse, a marriage partner. You think about where you're going to live, what you're going to drive. All of those things are important at some level. There is nothing more important than getting what we're talking about Right. You can have all of that other stuff. If you don't get this right, you lose everything. We've been rescued. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. In response to what He's done, What are you going to do about it? He's put it before you. He's lovingly given to you his word. And he's told you exactly what you need to do in response to what he's already done. He's done the work. What are you going to do in light of what he's done? How then are you going to live? I don't know that I'll ever referee the same after last night. Seeing that as a reminder on the bottom of that scoreboard. It's a reminder to me that in all things, the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's foolishness, isn't it, to the world? But it's the power of God to salvation for those in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I just give you all the glory for the words that you've given. I do thank you, Lord, for this great plan of salvation. I'm reminded of words to a song that asks a question. I don't know why you love me, but I'm so glad that you do. A sinner, 
He doesn't wait for us to get all cleaned up before you sent Jesus. You sent Jesus, the Bible said, in demonstration of your own unique love. You sent Jesus at just the right time. And while we were yet sinners, your son Jesus died for us. He took nails in his hands and feet. He yielded his life and breathed his last that we might have life everlasting. Lord, from the beginning to the end of your Bible, you paint this picture of a great rescue. It's all pointing toward this rescue to come in Christ. Oh Lord, I pray today for this church as we think about what we believe as a church in regard to salvation, there are lots of different uh, modes and methods and interpretations of, of salvation that one may hold to. But I pray, Lord, we would be very clear that there is one way to be saved. No man comes to you, the Bible says, except through your son, Jesus. Jesus himself declares that I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Lord, allow these words and scriptures to wash over us. Move us, Lord, from understanding and knowing this picture of salvation to respond, to be responders to your word, to be doers of your word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. And may we then, Lord, by faith, the power of your spirit, walk in the light as you were in the light. Be the fishers of men that you've called us to be. Be the ambassadors that you've called us to be. Be the new creations that you've called us to be. For such a time, we are clay pots, fragile vessels, here for a while, and then we're gone. None of us know the number of our days. They are all ordained by you in your book. All the more reason that we take what we're hearing this morning with all urgency and respond now. I pray, Lord, you would do that among your people here at this place. Move us to a greater dependency upon you. Thank you for saving us and for providing for us what we could not on our own provide for. We're grateful, Lord, for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the cross and your finished work at Calvary. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.